Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, speak again now in this place as you have at all times and in all places where you sent your word out for countless centuries and generations and point us to where our true hope is found in Jesus. Make us deeper disciples of him in this day in his name. Amen. We do spend a lot of time preparing for things, don't we? Many of you probably spent many hours, days, long time for Thanksgiving, and poof, it's gone already. And Christmas is almost here. You'll probably spend a lot of time preparing for Christmas. Have you thought about how much time God spent preparing the world for Christmas? You thought about how much time or how many ways God took and spent to prepare his people, prepare the world. Two-thirds of the Bible is what we would call B.C., before Jesus, before Christ, preparing God's people, preparing the way. That's a theme we're going to spend some time with this Advent. We'll get to know John, a character known as the preparer, quite a bit. But today we go all the way back to really the start, and that is of, of Matthew, and see how Matthew talks about God preparing the way for Jesus. How does, how does Matthew begin the story? Now, I often think of this as, as kind of interesting when some people think, well, I think I'll read the New Testament. Where do, okay, start at the beginning. Go to the beginning, you get to Matthew, and you're looking for some exciting stuff. And what do you got? Names. A laundry list of names, right? You, you have genealogy. of Oh, man. And when it comes to genealogy, there, there's probably two groups of us, right? One that thinks, half thinks it's boring, and the other half thinks it's riveting, exciting, right? Any genealogy fans, like big fans, on the website all the time? Cool, yeah, that, that's cool. I'm thankful that I have other members of my family that are more passionate about it than, than me, right? So I can know some things about, about my family. A couple things in my own genealogy that you might find interesting is I'm descended from two couples that came over on the Mayflower, one of whom fell off, which... He has more than 2 million American descendants now, which if he fell off and stayed off, that wouldn't be. And some of those descendants include very well-known uh, leaders and even presidents. Another one of my ancestors fought in the, or a few others, fought in the Revolutionary War, and one of them actually supplied George Washington's army at Valley Forge in that famous, infamous winter. And there's, yeah, there's some cool historical groups uh, I've found that you can join, uh, but where does it get you? And, and in order to join, what do you have to do? You have to track every birth date, death date, marriage certificate of all of the people in an unbroken line from me all the way back to them. You have to prove your heritage and your lineage. Well, I don't have time for me to do that. But I'm glad Matthew does that for Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's proving Jesus' lineage and proving his heritage He's proving for everyone who dares to read on about Jesus, it's his way of telling you up front who Jesus is. He's preparing you to have eyes to, to see. Now, it might look like a snoozer to us with this list of names that, that are hard to pronounce. But if we pay attention to them, guess what? We can learn a lot about Jesus. And what are a couple things that we learn from Jesus? Well, from the outset, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, verse 1, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We learn two things right away, that Jesus is royal. 
son of David. He's also Jewish, son of David and son of, of Abraham. And if you get further down into the list, you find that Jesus' whole family, whole heritage is royal, righteous, kingly, and incredibly also human and flawed. God's family tree, you might say, is messianic and messy. It's kingly and broken. And this list of names is is more than just that, more than a list or, or pedigree. I think if you dig into a lot of these people that we know things about, you start to see what our God is like. You don't just see a list or or a a proof list, proof text for for Jesus here. You you start to see what God is like. Because God includes some really dubious characters in the family tree of Jesus the Messiah. God in the flesh. God who came near, who yes, has a a royal messianic heritage, but, but it also includes a lot of very broken, very sinful, very needy, very flawed people. What do we do with that? Well, it's broken into, and it's in a bulletin or on page 807 in your pew Bible, it's into three sections, and he divides it up into 14 names. Now, there's an interesting fact in there. Uh, maybe some of you caught it. Some of you detailed folk might have caught this. But first, book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes on in sections. Abraham, father of Isaac, Isaac, Jacob. We've heard of some of these guys. Jacob, the father of Judah. Talk about him in a minute. And his brothers, Judah, father of Perez, Perez, uh, and Zerah by Tamar. Perez, father of Hezron, Hezron, Ram, all these names. Who knows who they are? Ram, father of Amadinadab, Amadinadab, father of Nashon. We're just glad somebody can say them and get through them quickly, right? Salmon, father of Boaz, Rahab, Obed, Ruth, Obed, father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And then another section, David, father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, Solomon, father of Rahab. You can go, Rehoboam, you can go through all these, and you're like, man, I've heard of some of these. I've not heard of all of them, and I will fully admit there's plenty on there that I don't know much about, if anything. But there they are. They're in, what if your name showed up in the list So what's going on here? First of all, there's 14 names in the first one. And then there's 14 names in the second list. So 14 from, uh, from Abraham to David. 14 from Solomon to, be it Jeconiah, Josiah, Jeconiah. Uh, and then anybody count the last ones? If you count this before, what happens? There's not 14. Even though Matthew says there's 14, there's 14, there's 14. There's actually 13 on the last one. You want to know the answer to that? Come on Wednesday. Ha, we'll talk about it. <laughs> no, no, seriously, if you read a bunch of commentaries, you'll see scholars twist themselves around to basically say Matthew is, is on the one hand, smart enough to write this whole gospel and the command of of the Greek language, of knowing Jesus well, of all history, all, all these things, but he's not smart enough to count to 14. There are so many things that, that say that. That is the lazy answer, and it's not true. There's actually a really cool answer that has everything to do with the character of God and who God is and God's faithfulness. But I'll tell you on Wednesday. So, yeah, there's 14, 14. Why the number 14? Matthew picks it seven twice. Uh, and, yes, na- some names are left out in doing 
ancestor you don't always include when you're writing every name, but those are absolutely Jesus' ancestors. And what do we start to learn about Jesus' family tree? Well, you start reading and you find that there's Judah and there's Tamar. And there's, in a society, yes, that was largely controlled by men and not very good in its treatment of women, there's not just one woman in this line. How many are there? Did you count those? There's four. You have Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Uriah's wife, otherwise known as? Ah, good, some of you know. Tamar comes from Genesis 38. I think that's one of the worst chapters in the whole Bible. Tamar is the daughter-in-law of Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and she, uh, this is not PG or G stuff in the Bible, she pretended to be a prostitute so that he would have a child with her, and Judah is uh, ungodly enough that he did, and she becomes a part of the Messianic line, and God keeps his promises for a Messiah through Judah. That's not what I would do. I would say, nope, you're out, buddy, but God keeps his promise to his people and has the Messiah come through Judah and Tamar. And then a little further down, there's another woman. Who is that? Rahab was actually known to be a prostitute in Jericho in Joshua chapter 2. But she helped the spies that Israel sent before they were coming into the promised land. And so she becomes a part of the Messianic line. I would not do that. And then later on, you have Ruth, who's known as a Moabite. That would mean she's a Gentile, descended from Lot, who uh, also, Lot, well, other bad stuff in his life too. Uh, You you wouldn't include him in any way. Ruth the Gentile, though, becomes the great-grandmother of King David, part of the Messianic line. And then Uriah's wife listed. Matthew doesn't list her name directly. Obviously, that's Bathsheba. David took her, had an affair with her, had her husband killed, and then she gives birth to Solomon, who is then part of the Messianic line. So, one, in an age where, unfortunately, men and women weren't given by society the equal value that God has given them, here they are in the Savior's lineage listed, four of them, and they're all Gentiles, they're all non-Jews. Tamar was Canaanite, Rahab, a Jerichoite, Ruth Moabite, and Bathsheba says, wife of the Hittite's wife, Uriah the Hittite. And two of them, more than that, uh, are very morally dubious. And here God writes them into the story of the Savior. This is, in a sense, how God is preparing the world for the coming of his son. That doesn't make sense to me. And you might say, that's just the women. Now let's look at some of the men. Abraham took Hagar, who's not his wife, to have a son. That turned out very badly for world history. David, an adulterer and a murderer. Judah, I already talked about him. And then Solomon is later in life a sex addict and an idolater. This does not sound like a list of Bible characters, does it? It sounds like a list of bad TV. And here we are saying all of these are the ancestors of Jesus. What is going on? One of the things... You could draw from this is that you don't get into the genealogy of Jesus by merit or morals. You don't. And you don't get into it then, and you don't get into it now by merit or morals. 
You don't get into God's family by having perfect, pure blood. You don't get into God's good graces by either having parents and grandparents that went to church a lot, or by keeping the law, being good, staying away from sin or sinners. No, God's heart and God's story is about forgiveness and grace from start to finish, including these very dubious relatives in Jesus' family tree. You see, everyone in Jesus' family tree, every one of them are broken, fallen, needy sinners except Jesus. You get into God's family by the grace he gives you, by the mercy of a Savior born, born helpless, born poor. God makes you a part of his family only because of the one righteous one who, yes, has a royal messianic lineage, but is also a human being and is also, as he is God himself come near us, come with us, but is also born of people who are very sinful and very needy. So one thing you could take from this is you don't get into the genealogy of Jesus or the family of faith today by merits or morals. The only way in is by grace, then and now. Okay, but that's not really where I want to camp today. Second thing you could take away from this is also this. Connected to that, God values the overlooked and the forgotten. Yes, God has mercy for sinners, but God welcomes them and lifts them up. And God absolutely uses broken, frail sinners, not just to extend his grace to, but actually do his work and fulfill his promises. To find people like Judah and Tamar and Rahab in the family lineage of Jesus is offensive to Nearly anybody who knows much about them, and here they are. But here's what I want you to take with you today. God is faithful and surprising. Do you see how faithful God is that, that Matthew wants to show you from the very beginning that God is, uh, God is strong, God is faithful, God's character, God, God will keep, he will make promises, he will keep promises. So if you keep reading into Matthew as we will throughout parts Advent and Christmas and then or the first part of, of Matthew's gospel over and over again, he says, this happened to Jesus to fulfill what was prophesied by this Old Testament prophet. God is faithful. When Adam and Eve wreck the world and their relationship with God. God promises in Genesis 3.15 a Savior all the way back, but it takes a long time. And yet God is faithful. God is faithful to his people, faithful to his promises, even when they and us are undeserving. And yet, when God fulfills his promises, he fulfills them in unique ways that often surprise us. Jesus, yes, was Jewish, and royal, but with big sinners and Gentiles in his family tree. So yes, God is faithful, but he's also surprising. Jesus' birth, the, the moment that God has been preparing for, for centuries, long prophesied, long hoped for, when it's finally here to send his son 
God himself in flesh to fulfill all his promises, to show God's love, to show his faithfulness. This is absolutely God acting in character, living out who he is. This is God being consistent with himself. When we say God is love, this is what it means. This is what God does. He is consistent, keeps his promises, and saves his people because he promised to do it. God is faithful. And yet, it will surprise. Mary is surprised at the news. She's young, engaged, not fully married yet, a virgin. Joseph, unsure, also surprised. Both are poor, far from their hometown. You have characters like power-hungry Herod out for the blood of anyone with a real claim to royalty. And Jesus, he sure has some dubious relatives in his family tree. I bet Thanksgiving could have been interesting. God is faithful and surprising. See, God promises a Savior way back in Genesis, and here we are. It takes two-thirds of the Bible to get there. And before all this, God gathers a people. That is, he calls Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, a lot of these names we read, and yet they end up in Egypt through famine, and then they get enslaved, and the story's not going well here. And then God saves them and rescues them and sends them to a land. But before that, they've broken the covenant. They're not faithful. And then God gives them kings, and they don't follow God. And then kingdom breaks down, divided. He calls prophets to, to call them back to speak his word. And then the 400 years before Jesus, there's what? Silence. Wait a second. God's going to send a savior but he's not talking to us how often does god's road seem to have a lot of detours a lot of scenic routes or just plain getting lost and i bet god's people felt that all the way through waiting and waiting and waiting i bet some of you have felt your life has gone that way too maybe your life has felt disorganized or off track or, or meandering or wandering. How many times have you told God, God, this isn't how it's supposed to go? And you've had months or years or decades where you've said that. And maybe your life too has had a lot of detours and scenic routes or just plain getting lost. Can you see God in all of it? Do you have eyes to see that God is faithful and surprising? Do you have eyes to see that even when God is, is faithful and planning and preparing and will keep every single promise to you, but he might do that in very surprising ways that leads you to surprising places? And maybe part of it's your family tree. You might be uh, look through your list of, of relatives and ancestors and think, man, I got a bunch of big sinners who have caused great shame. Are you willing to see that God's grace is bigger than all of that? Are you willing to see God working through all of those around you that God has sent so that you would know Jesus? And if, if someone has sinned greatly against you, you don't say that God has caused that or God isn't tempting you to sin or isn't, God isn't causing someone to hurt you, but are you willing to see God's guiding hand through the strange people, the strange plans, the strange places, the strange ways God has led your life? God is faithful and surprising. 
God will act 100% in character as the gracious, loving, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, God that he is, but God will also 100% surprise you in the ways that he keeps his promises, in the ways that he leads your life, in the ways that he shows himself to be faithful. Prepare for that. Amen.